The 19 race MotoGP World Championship has got underway and with it Maverick Vinales and Yamaha taking a crushing victory to start the season off with a full tally of 25 points. Yamaha got it right in that they overcame a huge straight line speed deficit to the missile fast Ducatis who are not only on pole with Jack Miller but they all blitzed it down to the first corner with a 1-2-3-4 lockout at the start. But ultimately, it didn't last as Vinales, sixth on the first lap, steadily came through the order to lead on lap 15 of the 22 in Qatar. Second was Johan Zarco, never out of the top three all race. And third was Peko Banyaya, who led but couldn't resist the undeniable and ultimately winning speed of the Flying Works Yamaha. Toby Moody here for the Race Motor GP podcast. My thoughts initially, succinctly, in one sentence, that the Ducatis were overhyped before the race with their qualifying pace. And while the speed of the Yamahas in the race setup that they had in, in uh, free practice number four, I think that was the telling tale. It could have been turned on its head, but ultimately those Yamahas came out top. Simon Patterson, one sentence that comes to mind about this first race in 2021. That is the finest MotoGP race we've ever seen Maverick Vinales put together. Good one. Valentin Hurunshi, what are your thoughts initially for this first Grand Prix? My first thoughts would be just a boring two-word sentence, about right. It's about what we'd expected. <laughs> that looked about par for the course. About right. That'll be the, Simon, note that down. That'll be the shortest uh, first thoughts <laughs> that we will have throughout this 2021 season. Well, 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 a Yamaha overtook everybody to take the win. The bike that won seven Grand Prix last year out of the 14 comes up tops. Uh, Simon, I'm going to have to agree with you. That was one of the finest Grand Prix that we've seen, but certainly in the forefront of my mind from Maverick Vinales. Uh, has he got his head sorted? I really hope so. Um, but he looked last night like a man that did have his head sorted. Um, obviously, we, we've seen this sort of performance from Maverick before. Um, let's not forget the great false dawn of 2017 when he dominated testing, uh, won the first three of the first four races and looked like he was going to blitz the championship only for everything to very quickly fall apart. Um, so, you know, let's not get too excited about it. But yesterday he did everything that he said all winter that he's going to try and do. Um, he was more aggressive. He was not fantastic, but better off the start. He was certainly better in the early laps. Uh, he kept his cool. He managed his tires. It, it looked like someone that has finally taken on board their own advice, um, which, you know, it, yeah, it just hasn't happened before. For like three years, he's been saying all winter, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. We've got to race one, and he's done A, B, and C. This is the first year that he's turned up with X, Y, and Z in the first race. So, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. I think it it looks like he has got to grips with it. It looks like he's realized is the error of his ways in the past. And if he can continue like that, he's a really, really, really strong championship contender. Maybe the fact that he is the absolute team leader because there's no Valentino Rossi on the other side of the garage it's made him realize ah buck stops with me now can't shovel it over to to Mr 46 anymore it's over with me maybe that's an unconscious trigger that's been pulled maybe it's just half of that and it's just the fact that the person on the other side of the garage isn't Valentino Rossi anymore because we know he's like a he's like a black hole he sucks everything in because of the sheer, you know, momentum of his gravity. Career. So maybe it's just that. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it's just not having Valentino sitting next to him. For what it's worth, I yeah. For what it's worth, I I do agree. There was a, a really fine Vinales victory in that. Normally, uh, considering the fact that he I think did like eight thousand practice starts during the weekend, and then his actual start was still not very good. Like not just very not not just bad compared to the Ducatis because you'd expect that, but he also slipped two places behind Quartararo. He briefly slipped behind Rossi. This is the point where maybe you'd expect sometimes Vinales's head to drop, or something to happen, or him to start to struggle on high fuel in traffic, and it didn't really happen. He was very efficient in making his way back through the field, and then 
ultimately to victory. So I, I don't know if we can draw any sort of uh, further reaching conclusions from that because, again, the, the 2017 Qatar win is basically exactly the same. Starts up front, slips back at the start, fights through. Just It's, it's a track where clearly Yamaha can do that. But all that said, it was, it was a really nice win, nothing to, to take away from him. And I... I don't take too much stock in, in the suggestions of like that he's suddenly rejuvenated for one reason or another. Either he's rejuvenated by Crutchlow, he's rejuvenated by his new family, which obviously, congratulations, he's rejuvenated by this and that. We'll, we'll know. We'll know in Europe. But Maverick Vinales is on, is on nine MotoGP wins already, which it's, it's a lot. It hasn't seemed like that much this whole time because he's yet to put together a, a consistent title challenge. But... This 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 was a good one, and nine MotoGP wins, none to scoff at. So every chance he'll be in the title fight this year. You're absolutely right, and it's one of the things I regularly say is, you know, one swallow doesn't make a summer, and all of those one-liners. We've got 18 Grand Prix still to go. Uh, it would be great if he's back in inverted commas, and on for him, you know, a championship charge. But there's a very very long way to go. Um, let's hope that it's all sorted. Uh, Maverick was the really the, the the only Yamaha to make it work throughout the Grand Prix. The next Yamaha was Fabio Quattararo. I know he was only three seconds back, but that's GP at the moment. You know, 10 seconds covers the top 11 people. It's very, very close. But Quattararo was fifth. What did he have to say after getting off the bike? So Quattararo actually had, he didn't have a good race, but by the standards of previous bad races, he had a very good bad race. Um, we saw last year multiple occasions he'd get into the situation like this where the tires would start to go off, he'd start to drop back through the field, and suddenly the guy that had been second at the end of the first five laps ends the race in like ninth. This year he kind of caught his fall, arrested the fall through the field, and then was able to kind of regroup himself, come back a little bit, and what he actually did was, was salvage some good points in a bad day, which is, let's be honest, that's how you win championships, right? Um, so he, that for me shows more than anything else, it shows how he's matured a little bit over the winter, um, which maybe is an influence of the fact that the team, maybe it's the influence of the fact that, you know, when you're 21 and you turn 22, it adds a significant amount of life experience that it doesn't add when you're 42. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, he, he showed me yesterday that, he he is more able to fight for the championship this year than he was last year. Yeah, I'd, I'd say I agree. But I mean, again, it's 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 hard to to draw wider conclusions from just just the one race. And he it it will sting that his teammate won the race because it, it should sting you if you're a MotoGP rider with title with with title hopes that you scored less than half of the points that your teammate scored in the opening race. But at the same time, you know, his tire dropped, but his head didn't drop and he managed to re regain some positions that he'd lost. So I don't remember if he lost the position to Miller, but he definitely lost the position to Rins and he managed to get managed to get Rins back. I think managed to get Miller back too. So that's it's good signs. It's good signs that uh, a race isn't lost once once there's a drop off, which for Fabio, I think is, is pretty important given what we saw last year. One of you mentioned the fact that Yamaha didn't make a great start. Well, that, of course, was overshadowed by the unbelievable sight <laughs> of all those four Ducatis leading into the first corner. Uh, I was screaming at the television from the sofa here going, OK, right, yeah, one, two, oh, one, two. Hang on a minute, three, four, I said, as they all tipped into the right-hander. Uh, that was quite something. I mean, that launch control system is good, but did we realise it was that good? Or was this a one-off? Or is this something for 2021? Was it a freak that it's just a long way to the first corner? I, I think I think we know it's good. We know that there is a distinct advantage to it. But I think Qatar made it look... Well, two things yesterday made it look a little bit better than it was one of them was Qatar and the fact that there's a long run to the front straight and that the Ducatis are qualified so well. And the other is whatever Jorge Martin did on that Pramac bike to find himself suddenly P4 after the first lap. 
Like that was a hell of a start from the rookie. I've bumped into like two Moto three riders and a Moto two rider this morning at breakfast, and the first thing they've all led with was, "How did Jorge Martin do that without jump at the start?" Uh, that that for me was just. I don't even want to say it was skill because I think it was probably largely luck that it wasn't a jump start. But um, yeah, I think that kind of makes it look a little bit different than it was. I think there was a third thing that that made it look uh, extra good, and that was uh, Alex Rins forgetting to enable his launch control. There is that. (laughs) (laughs) So I think if if the two Suzuki's got normal kinds of starts we wouldn't see a Ducati 1, 2, 3, 4. Yamaha is Yamaha so obviously they're going to the back of the grid at the start every time or somewhere there but yeah there's there's going to be more competition going forward in terms of starts. Because Bagnaia didn't actually get that good a start either yeah. whenever you look at it he got a load of wheelie off the line it wasn't actually a perfect start you know Yamaha have done like like <laughs> like Val says Yamaha have done like a million practice starts this weekend and their practice or their race starts were actually pretty close to perfect but that's just not good enough that's the problem they've got that's why they did so many of them because perfect's not good enough against the Ducatis, which make it look easy okay martin 14th to fourth before the first corner it's one of those times as a commentator you'd say that'll never happen again and it may <laughs> never it may never that's quite something but if it does start to happen again well it doesn't matter whether a ducati qualifies does it yeah, it's one of it's one of those things that makes you go, okay, so why did we spend an hour yeah. with the qualifying on Saturday? Because that feels wasted now. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Why risk your yeah. backside flinging it around a circuit yeah. at 225 mile an hour when, ah, yeah, as long as I'm in the top 10, I'll still lead at the first corner, you know? <laughs> a, a very experienced crew chief said to me last night, if someone figures out how to make the tires last in that Ducati, we're all completely screwed. Correct. Yeah, and the thing is, you know, someone kind of did a little bit this this weekend. I mean, Johan Zarco spoke all before the race, after qualifying. He said that he felt he'd figure out figured out some sort of way to make the tires go longer on his Ducati compared to last year. And the race, I think, largely supported that theory. I mean, it's not it's not like he won, so obviously it wasn't completely ideal. But he did made it last. He was he had plenty in the back to even plenty in the in the tank to even keep up with Vinales a bit after Vinales started his breakaway and then he had enough to see off Mir at the end. And Bagnaia. Uh, and Bagnaia. So I think that's encouraging. That's really encouraging. The, the less encouraging part is the, the whole Jack Miller thing, but we'll get to it. Just coming back to what you said a moment ago, Simon, about bumping into crew chiefs and will Ducati get the tyres sorted out for the race? Well, they had all last year to sort out if they could win the championship without Marc Marquez. And they couldn't do that. Sorry, got to say it, but, you know, you're all nodding in approval on my screen here. In their defense, they did, in an attempt to fix that, they did replace everyone. Yeah. (laughs) You know, they have literally chopped four riders around. (laughs) I I don't think last year the underlying problem was was drop-off. It was maybe for, like, Zarco and stuff. But it was more the absolute massive underlying lack of pace on almost every rider almost every weekend um because they couldn't get to grips with the new michelin rear and particularly you know they their their championship hopes rested on dovisioso dovisioso he's had a few really really good races in terms of racecraft the pace just wasn't anywhere near there he looked like a, a second tier moto gp rider in in qualifying he looked like a third tier moto gp rider in races had a second tier so uh, these guys, they at least qualify higher up. So uh, I don't know. I'm I'm not so worried about the tire drop off. Yeah. But yeah, I specifically wasn't talking about tire drop off. I was talking about just the organisation within oh, the garage, as you know. Yeah. You know, I, I, I said yeah. at the beginning, didn't we, Simon? Not twelve months ago, but in July. What you got to do is swallow your pride. I know that Dov is leading, leaving at the end of the year, or you're not really happy families. But this is your chance for crying out loud. But anyway, it's, what's done is done. That's just our view from the outside. Bit difficult from the inside, but that's our view. Um, uh, Jack Miller, uh, yeah, pole position uh, slumped to ninth. Uh, come the flag, unfortunately for him, uh, while his teammate Banyaya sped ahead and eventually came home into uh, into third position on that very last corner. But uh, he'll know what he's done wrong. But he'll be a bit miffed. Was he a bit miffed last night? 
uh, maybe less miffed than I'd expect him to be, or maybe he's he's hiding it pretty well. But the thing is, is that the warning signs for me, and I I don't know, maybe it's it's different for Jack because he never sounded that worried at any point in the weekend. Um, but the warning signs were there because the FP4 base was not was not really good. And honestly, qualifying fifth compared to Banyaya's first, given how good Jack Miller has been on one lap at Qatar doing testing, and even I think earlier in practice, there's something felt like it wasn't quite right and Miller said no fifth doesn't matter because I'll be second by turn one he was right he was second by turn one but um I think there was something underlying that was missing and there was no proof of longevity on worn tires and indeed when the race you know when the race began and when we went to the halfway point the tires they went off the rear tire I think he, he started losing it even off throttle and that was that was basically that uh ninth place oh, it's just not I don't want to say unacceptable because it's not like, you know, he it's some sort of disgrace or embarrassment, but with Mark Marquez absence and this this Qatar track being somewhere where Ducati needs to bank points, ninth place is not good enough. It will not cut it. It's a, it's a big, 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 big problem to start the season with and the second weekend just must go much better than that. Honestly, without if not 25 points, then I think this doubleheader will be a disappointment for, for Jack. What I what I think we saw last night with Jack was um, a complete lack of adaptability. Um, lots of people spent all weekend saying that what we what happened all weekend with the wind, with the temperature changes, with the dust blown across the track was different every session. And it's almost like Jack went into the race expecting to find one thing, and then when it wasn't there, it threw him. And he he, he wrote his race plan, but the conditions of the race changed. And and it just didn't work for him. Um, and that's something that we've kind of seen in the past with Jack, that he tends to be not the most adaptable person in the world for the circumstances that go on around him. Um, he's not the only one that got caught out last night by the tires acting in a different way from what they expected them to, but he's the one that probably, like Val says, paid the biggest price for it because that should have been easy points last night. Um, even a bad race for Ducati last night should have been podium. How have you been impressed by Banyaya? You know, he's 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 not been invisible, but there's been a lot of focus on other people last year. He gets one of the top motorsport slots, four or two wheels. You know, you're riding for the two-wheeled Ferrari. And how has he how has he upped his game even in that that first weekend? Because testing is testing, but there's nothing like a race. I should preface this by saying that uh, Banyai's problem for me is, isn't that he lacks pace on his good weekends. His good weekends look as good as anybody's. Maybe like the, the, the last year's Mizano doubleheader was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. Banyai's problem is that when he has a bad weekend, he's like 20th. And that's just, that won't cut it on a factory Ducati. All that said, this was a good weekend. It was And it was fa fantastic. And I think he, he rode a fantastic race given that the underlying pace on his Ducati looked not to be there to win the race. And the fact he managed to hang on so long in the lead and keep keep Vinales from streaking away for as long as he did, and then managed to regroup himself when it all looked lost and steal the final podium position from Mir, I thought I thought he rode an absolutely fantastic race. I was super, super impressed. Yeah, he wasn't the top Ducati, but uh, this is the kind of thing that will make the Ducati brass feel good about their decision to to sign him for 2021, I'm sure. I still feel like uh, he's been promoted a year too early. Um, it was never their plan to put him into the factory team this early because they thought Dovi would stay, plain and simple. And if he'd done what he did this weekend at Pramac, we'd be saying, amazing, top work, guaranteed factory rider next year, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's almost like, there shouldn't be extra pressure put on him this year because he's a factory rider, given that we believe that, but it is because he's a factory rider and that's how MotoGP works. So I think maybe it's just worth, you know, keeping in check this year that he is the number two at the at the factory team. He is the guy that's there to learn his trade a little bit, that Miller's the most experienced, the team leader, the, the manufacturer's leader, essentially. Um, so yeah, given all that, it was it was an excellent performance by Naya. He he was rapid all weekend. He looked controlled all weekend. He never looked like he was, you know, beyond any limits or anything. And he rode a smart enough race given uh given the circumstances of it. So yeah, fair play. Um if he can do that on a semi-regular basis this year, he doesn't need to be a title contender. 
No, but it'll win a race because eventually one of those podiums yeah, will turn oh, into for a race sure. and that's, that's, for that's sure. mega. Yeah. But a race win, a race win four or five podiums and sixth in the championship is is a perfectly acceptable year for him this year. Very much so, very much so. Um, and you know, we haven't, we haven't yet spoken about Alain Lebleu, uh, the bloke on the. I know it's not a works bike, but how works is it? And and the development bits that he had on it with the airbox to do that massive speed in uh, in practice. Yoad Zarko, never out of the top three all race, comes home in second position. This is a bloke on his backside, if I can put it politely, 18 months ago, because he was given the flick from KTM and he was struggling around and he was all a bit of a bad smell. And here he is. He's in second place. Fair play. Fair play. The the, the best redemption story I've seen in my time in MotoGP. He, he has been exceptional. Um, absolutely fair play to him. The best thing he ever did was walk away from KTM and walk away from Laurent Fallon, his then manager trainer. Because since leaving, he's completely reinvented himself, not just as a rider. Um, Fallon was a very controlling influence over Zarco's life. And Zarco seemed quite happy to let Fallon control every aspect of his life. Like we're talking control to the extent that the guy was like 28 years old, a double Moto2 world champion and didn't have his own mobile phone. Like that's the level of control we're talking here. And, and it's almost like he's come out of this and thought I've missed out on actually being social with people and, you know, making connections with people. And he's worked really hard to do that. And it's paying off now because He's he's being seen for the person that he actually is. That's been rewarded by Ducati now for two years in a row. First with taking a punt on him and sticking him into a sponsorama, and now moving him up to uh, to Pramac. He's gelled really, really well with the Pramac team. Uh, a long chat yesterday with Team Boss Francesco Godotti about this, and he he says like on a personal basis, um, especially because Zarco speaks fluent Italian. He has just stepped right into the team. That is a small, you know, family-based team. He's very much a part of it already. And, you know, then we saw last night that he is an exceptionally capable MotoGP rider. He is very, very good at Qatar. Let's not forget leading his first ever MotoGP race here a few years back. And he he paid off Ducati for putting their trust in him. So, you know, chapeau. Now, Ducati's hiring of, of Zarco was pretty much no risk. Lots of possible upside when they did it to the, the Avinci. And that's that's exactly how it's paying off right now. I, I do want... It's it's a real, real feel-good result. And he's been he's been really, really convincing on the Ducati through at points last year and obviously this weekend. Does make me wonder... What next? Because we know that Zarco wants the factory seat at some point. Uh, he's he's made that perfectly clear. Even last year, he was sort of angling for the for the seat that that Bagnaia ultimately got. What if he's beating the works guys who are both in one year deals? What is he going to expect? Is there a possibility that he'll be jilted by some sort of Ducati decision where they just decide to keep the same lineup? Will he? He knows probably that in terms of age, like he's older than definitely Benyai, but he's older than Miller too, right? A fair bit, I think. Yeah, four years. Simon's signaling. Um, he's gonna think that you know his time to be like a proper front-running works rider is running out. So Ducati still have some careful management of him to do, especially if he continues to star. But you know that's that's all for another day. And assuming he continues to star right now, that's ah, great first race for Pramac. Great job, fantastic. The irony may well be that the French new hope is the next Frenchman. It, it, they've all been looking at Quattararo because he, uh, yeah, he did win those Grand Prix last year, and it's been a while since the Frenchman won a big race. But uh, yeah, let, let, wow, what a turnaround for the French! So uh, fingers crossed. Uh, he's probably been humbled. There was just a moment when he took his crash helmet off in Park Ferme yesterday, Zarco, and he just looked a bit, yeah, mm. not. Oh, I'm going to beat you and uh, shaky fisty, aggressive teeth grinding look. It was. I've realised my mistakes. We've all been there. We've all made mistakes. All of us. Everyone listening to this podcast has made silly mistakes. But, yeah, don't mess it up again. Don't mess it up again. And and I think he's a little star. Uh, is he a world champion? Let's discuss that another day. But wouldn't it be a lovely fairy tale? And my God, he'd stick two fingers up to somebody if he won a race. One more thing just to throw out, because it's an amazing story. Um, 
Zarko, to celebrate his podium, has added a new song to his repertoire based on where he secured his podium last night. And a friend of mine walked past the hotel bar in the Sheraton where they're all staying and he was singing A Horse With No Name to the team on guitar. That's a great one. No, I like that. I like that an <laughs> awful lot. <laughs> yes, yes. This is, of course, uh, Simon was referring to playing on the piano. No, he had a guitar last night. Guitar last night. Oh, guitar. Sorry, I thought you said yeah, yeah, guitar. I, sorry, sorry. No, sorry. no, I think he's brought his guitar with him, which is very Zarko. You better take that to the podium next week. <laughs> New Dawner ruling. No musical instruments on the podium. You watch. Uh, yes, he'll pay the fine. Right, well, let's uh, let's see what happens with the hope uh, down at Pramac Ducati and what can happen with the Works Ducati squad. Meanwhile, reigning champions Suzuki... Uh, another Jaws music as they came through the order throughout the race. And there he was, there he was, there he was. He was in a podium position and he just went a little bit wide at that last corner and he didn't get the drive. And eventually, Juan Mir coming home in that, uh, just off the podium in fourth position. Close, maybe a bit disappointed, not the end of the world, take the points. But they're not race winners from the word go. Uh, each rider won one race last year. It's a 19 race championship. Did I nearly say there's a long way to go? <laughs> Please slap me. I, I'm not going to say that, that, that we're already in fighting for championships, but that is the sort of race that wins championships uh, from Mir. He, he had a bad qualifying, he had a tough weekend, and then when it came to race day, he dug, he found something, he salvaged some points. Sure, it could have been amazing and he could have finished second, but fourth is 13 valuable points. That is exactly what he did last year on his bad weekends. It was what made him basically the only rider in MotoGP to be actually consistent last year. Um, it's a really good sign of the way to start the weekend, of the way to start the season for them. Um, they had a really, really tough weekend at Suzuki. Um, he just couldn't find something. Something was missing all weekend. They couldn't find it. They couldn't find it. And then to make things worse, they, you know, essentially we've got two sessions here to set up for the race. You've got FP2 and you've got FP4 because they're the only practice sessions that are uh, um, after the sun goes down. They're the only ones that are actually at race condition. We saw in FP2 in particular, there was people throwing three sets of tires at the bike just to get a Q2 time. That then gave them an advantage that Suzuki just weren't getting because, you know, they were doing what they always do. They were going out on tires that have 15 laps on them to concentrate on being strong at the end of the race. Uh, it, it just, between both those things, it made a mess of the whole thing. He had to go to Q1. He had to come through to Q2. He only qualified 10th. But like always, Mir found something in the race. He is able to be somehow smooth and aggressive at the same time as he comes through the field, but save his tires while he's doing it. And he was right there in the end. He was super unlucky that he just had to take a punt in the last lap, had to be a little bit wide in the last corner, I think, to try and be defensive, was a little bit too wide. And Ducati, obviously, where we saw their speed drop all through the race, which their top speed, which I think was a fuel conservation strategy. There's obviously a system in that bike that says you've got a little bit left. If you want to push the magic button for the last lap, you can. And suddenly they were 50 miles an hour faster than the Suzuki get it. They blasted past them. But there's a lot more to be positive about than negative about for that race for Suzuki. I remember there was a time during the weekend, I don't remember what quite what session, where Mir mentioned that he felt they came up short of that final day in Qatar, the fifth day that got, you know, the track got dusty and was unrideable, which made me think, well, if, if this was a real concern, then why why on earth did you guys, like, test the 2022 engine or whatever in, in the first week? But I, I also see why in that it didn't really matter, like, the as bad a, his weekend may have looked bad, but I think Suzuki was always going to do something like this and they, they they knew that and they knew that during the test when they weren't setting the top times they knew that during the weekends i think the, the bike can pass uh, the pace of the race is going to be slow because there's going to be a ducati up front that's going to hold everybody up exactly what ducati needed from this from the or suzuki needed from this weekend mir needed from this weekend is have a good race be sort of in the mix pick up 16 13 11 points here's your 13 points congratulations title defense right on track yeah. No problems. Hareth 1 and 2 last year, 
round one and two last year. <laughs> he'll take he'll take last night over those two. <clears throat> Damn sight better. So yeah. yeah, that'll be all right. Uh, yes, he took uh, four places in three laps, just as Vinales took the lead, and the Ducatis had really hit the wall and were going backwards. So that turning point that we've got to look for in Qatar two is about lap fifteen. That's going to be the tipping point that we go over. So uh, absolutely take the phone off the hook once you get after 10 laps of 22. So, yes, uh, Alex Rins, again, he was similar kind of pace to to, to Juan Mir, uh, although he was ahead of Mir at the beginning, dropped back a bit, and then they sort of came up together. But in the end, uh, Rins came home in sixth position. So not too bad at all, considering... They've remember that they've haven't got their uh, their team principal of last year in the shape of Brivio, who's gone to Formula One with Alonso and Alpine. So they've got to find their feet in other ways, but it wouldn't it won't take them long. It won't take them long. It's interesting times. It, it sounds like things within the team are going quite well. Um, without Davide, just to pick up on that briefly. Um, Suzuki are staying in my hotel, so I've been sort of bumping into them in lifts and breakfasts and gyms and things like that and chatting to the guys and that. And they're, you know, everything's going smooth. Um, everyone's got a little bit more responsibility. Everyone's got a little bit, an extra job or two to do, but no one's stressing about it. Everything's under control. They're, yeah, they're managing fine. How are things going on with Grassini after? The terrible loss of, Fa- of, of Fausto Grassini. They they will be clubbing together like nobody else in recent times. But a good result, a solid result, if I could say that. A great result even for Alessia Spargaro. Seventh. Just just before we start on the MotoGP project uh, with Grassini, have to start with, with Fabio Di Gentonio in Moto2 seeing him come through, take the last podium position with a couple of laps to go for Fausto Grassini's team. There was not many dry eyes in the MotoGP paddock yesterday at that scene. Um, you know, what a way to come back after the first race, uh, after we lost Fausto and just say, yeah, we're, we're still here. We're still doing the business. Really, really nice to see. Um, on a MotoGP front, yeah, uh, Aleish wasn't disappointed afterwards. He was obviously wanting a little bit more because they'd shown that they had maybe a little bit more during practice and during the tests. But I think um, it's a solid start to the season and it's something to build on for next weekend. Um, I, it's a bit of a difficult one. I'm not entirely sure what we're seeing with Aprilia anymore uh, because this is a circuit that they go really well at and this is the only circuit that we've seen them at. It's still a little bit like, you know, is this a Prilia? Is this a new Aprilia we're really seeing here or not? And yesterday gave me a few little doubts because ah, I'm trying to think of the right way to put this. It's almost like um almost like the Miller thing. When things changed a little bit, they weren't able to respond to it quite the same way. Maybe that's because they've essentially got one rider at the minute. You know, they've only got a leash getting data for a leash. There's no one else, you know, uh, Lorenzo Savadori was. Lorenzo Salvadori was further off second last than second last was off the winner. The, the guy is struggling with a shoulder injury. He's been thrown into the deep end of MotoGP. Um, yeah, so Alicia's a one-man band at the minute, and he's going to suffer with that. But there are lots to be positive about, too, and hopefully I'm not being a bit you know, pessimistic and saying that I'm not entirely sure it's all fixed and glory. You know, Just- happy. Just quickly, what did you tweet about Alicia Spagaro and cycling? Just give us a quick rundown with what's going on there. Yeah, so um, it seems like uh, Spanish Basque, actually, pro team Uscatel have offered Alicia contract for 2022 uh, to go and ride uh, so the second tier of, um, of World Championship cycling, the, the pro tour. Um, he, I haven't spoken to him about it yet. I need to catch up with him about it. Um, basically... The way cycling works, you you have a 30-man squad. You only ever send seven or eight riders to a race. Um, you can afford to have one guy in the pack who's maybe not, you know, who's there because of who he is um, rather than any outright speed, but for a little bit of PR or something like that. They'll do that with Aleish. He'll ride, you know, he can ride in Belgium through March when there's no MotoGP on. He can do a few one-day races, maybe a couple of stage races. Um 
give the team a bit of PR, get himself a bit of PR. It's probably safer than cycling on the road in terms of training because there's no cars to run into him. And it's, you know, it's a massive advertisement for MotoGP because it shows how fit our guys are. Well, well, well. I can't think of many crossovers. Uh, there'll be some out there, but the, the crossover like that is uh, is like fair play. Wow. Fair play. Not at the same time. Exactly. I was just about to say, at the same time. You know, people have done it yeah. afterwards. Yeah. or Michael Jordan went and played baseball, but this isn't, <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. Fair play. Fair play. Honda. My goodness me. Uh, obviously, we still have had no Mark Marquez. Uh, we did our season preview, and literally a couple of hours later, Marquez puts out a video that he's testing at Barcelona, and he's on the RC213 road bike, all stickered up to look like a Grand Prix bike. And he was all getting off the bike, and he was shaking his fist and fist pumping and hitting the air, and it was all wow and all great. April the 12th, is that the next trigger point for when we he's going to go and see a quack and whether or not he's going to get a yay or a nay? Yeah, that's when we find out what happens next. Uh, his next hospital appointment um, just before the next round of Portimao. Um, essentially, they're, they're just they're waiting on the bone to regrow in his arm now. Um, they're waiting on it to be strengthened to the point where he's able to ride a MotoGP bike. Obviously, he has learned his lesson from last year because he was given the okay to ride a bike again. He rode a bike again and then said, I'm not fit to ride a MotoGP race. Whereas we know last year he wasn't really given the okay to ride again, but still said, I'm going to ride a MotoGP bike anyway. I'd made everything so many times worse. So, um, yeah. So when he told us that he's learned his lesson, I think he has learned his lesson and we saw that. Um but it, it's just going to take time. You know, we're, we're not going to know. He's not going to know when he's ready to ride until he's ready to ride, really. On the other side of the garage, uh, if I could call it that, Paul Espargaro, first race in the colours that he had on his bedroom wall. Six seconds back, he'll be happy with that. But, well, welcome to MotoGP 2021. Eighth position for Paul. He did say that he overrode at times throughout the weekend. But what was his vibe in his debrief last night? Um, it was it was encouragingly angry. He was not not happy with that eighth place finish at all. He was well, I, I wouldn't say at all. It was like he wasn't like frustrated, disappointed, but he was a bit frustrated. He was like, "This is Repsol Honda. I'm not here to finish eighth. I can't be happy about finishing eighth." And he, he clearly he clearly meant it. It wasn't for it wasn't for the the cameras or for our skies. It was for. It was because that's that's how he really feels. He said he rode really, really weak and really slow in the first opening laps, and that I guess that helped him preserve a bunch of the tire for for late on. But for that was too late. Uh, he got beat by like a few thousandth by a leash, but again, seventh eighth doesn't really matter. Not where he wants to be. Honestly, given Honda's history at Qatar with everyone not named Marquez, and even with Marquez relative to how Marquez went on other circuits, eighth that's fine. The two LCR Hondas both ended up on the ground, so eighth, I think, is is, is perfectly fine. But Aleish will, or Paul will not be happy with eighth the second weekend too, so he expects to make a step forward. I've got two anecdotes from yesterday that pretty much round up the day for me as far as Paul's concerned. One is a text message I got directly after the race from an ex-racer that said, why are Repsol Honda celebrating as if they've just won the race? Don't they know they're Repsol Honda? Which I thought kind of rounded up that. The other is from Aleish, who said he saw on his pit board that there was a rider closing down on him during the second half of the race. The didn't, team didn't put the rider's name on the board. He looked up at the big tower in the start finish, saw it said 4-4 four, four behind him and thought, fucking hell, this guy's starting to get quite fast on that bike. Um, and that for me really rounds up the day. It wasn't a good enough result to be celebrating the way they were celebrating, but it was a solid start to, to a career in a difficult bike and he did make a big improvement as the race progressed so next weekend I think he'll be much more happier with where he finishes I think the first text message sums it up Polsan necessary faster the team that he left <laughs> KTM uh, it all comes down to is it a circuit specific thing or are they in bigger trouble uh, Brad Binder said on Saturday night I was sick to my stomach regarding the lack of pace is it just a get through it kind of 
couple of weeks for them. Someone asked Miguel Oliveira last night, were there any positives to take from the weekend? And he said, well, it was nice to see a crowd in the grandstand again. Which really sums up the weekend. He, he he's the new he's the new Crutchlow. He just says it how it is, isn't he? He's actually you want a quote, you just ask him. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a worrying sign. We don't need more Crutchlow. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a circuit specific problem. Um the problem is that there's two races at that circuit. Uh this has never been a good circuit for them. Um, obviously, we didn't race last year here with the the more improved bike that they bought last year, but I think Miguel Oliveira struggled home last night in 11th, and without double-checking, I think that is still actually KTM's best ever finish at LaSalle. So, so you know, it, it it's just damage limitation for th- this weekend and next. That's all they can do. They have to keep telling themselves, this does not reflect the rest of the season. LaSalle is not Europe. Let's get it over and done with. Let's use these weekends to to test you know Petrucci said these two race weekends are two ex are, are six extra days of testing for him that's all they've got to do and, and just limit the damage yeah, Petrucci's extra day of testing on Sunday ended pretty pretty quickly ended a turn two in the gravel that's true so that's that's a shame <laughs> um the, the 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 vibe from KTM and what has been what I've been coming out all weekend is that there's two there's two major points that the riders keep making the first one is that uh what what Brad Bender says all the time is that if they could just get the bike to turn just a little bit more a little bit quicker they'd make the the straights longer and they get to take profit of the of the bike's good points and the second one is that Miguel Oliveira is clearly, and maybe the, probably the rest of the KTM is clearly not not happy with the tire allocation because they're having to run the soft front, and they hate it. They do not like it at all. And honestly, on 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 Saturday in FP4, Miguel's space on on worn soft fronts up rear looked a bit fantastic. Not not quite maverick, but not really second best to anyone else, I'd say. But. You know, I asked him about that on Sunday, and he was basically like, "You fool! We 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 did a, a stop midway through the the run, and that basically changes the whole thing for the bike. Also, you know, fuel loads and all that, so it wasn't actually indicative of what it was. So, I don't know. They're not saying they're just getting through it. They'll never say they're just they're just getting through it. But they'll be happy to see the back of LaSalle. Very happy." The saddest sights I saw were all weekend was that lovely all-orange Tech 3 KTM bodywork going through the gravel. <clears throat> That's a good-looking bike, that. As proven by a certain survey on the internet, <laughs> courtesy of Simon Patterson <laughs> and his Twitter account. Uh, Davizioso with Aprilia. Yeah, so it's going to happen. He's going to test... Uh, Battistello was interviewed on the international feed, his manager, sorry, should I say, Simone Battistello saying, oh, well, you know, we won't be racing this year. And I thought, <laughs> I like Simone. He's a great bloke. <laughs> Don't trust some of what he says. Um, so, and you, you've summed it up Earl, uh, a moment ago, Lorenzo Savadori, 46 seconds back of the winner in 19th and 23 seconds back of the guy in front of him is He's not good enough. There'll be Moto3 riders who can do better than that. Sorry, maybe Moto2 riders who can do better than that. It's not easy, granted, but that needs to change. Put Dovi on it. Bernie would sort that out. Over to you, Carmelo and Mr. Battistella. There, there is an irony in uh, one of the Moto2 riders that would be able to do better be the guy that dominated last night's Moto2 race and has previously been sacked by a brilliant Mr. Sam Lowe's. Um... <laughs> Yeah, it, it, for me, it just makes complete sense. Um, obviously, Dovi is being super cautious. He didn't jump on the Aprilia. He didn't offer to jump on the Aprilia. From what I hear, the offer came from him to Aprilia, not the other way around. That offer didn't come until after he saw what Alish did at testing and he saw how rapid that bike had become. And then he thought, okay, let's see what happens. So he's going to get a chance to ride it. He will ride 12th to the 14th of April in Hareth. He'll also go, we think, 8th and 9th of May to Mugello to have another crack at it at a different circuit. And then I think after that, if it goes well, if he's found a bit of speed, if he thinks, yeah, you know what, I can put this thing in the podium, what we'll then see is Savadori will be replaced Aprilia, we know, are already going to major Italian brands saying, how many million euros would you give us to put your name on the bike if Andrea Davizioso was riding said bike. 
Um, so everything is there to make it happen, apart from really Dovey saying yay or nay on, on the quality of the RS GP. Honestly, I think the, the only guy for who this doesn't make perfect sense, the way I look at it personally, is Andrea Dovizioso. Because, yeah, the bike's better, but yesterday's P7 suggests that it's maybe not better enough to where it's a can't-miss opportunity. And it's like, he's ridden P7 capable likes before in MotoGP, has ridden him for a fair few years. I'm not I'm not convinced that he's going to be convinced that this will add something to his CV for a future return or whatever. It'll keep his name around. But the, the second one, and I, I see your point, Simon, I'll, I'll get back to it. But the second one is everybody else who's gotten on that bike alongside Alessia Spargaro has gotten destroyed, has had their career dunked in the trash, basically. And that has to be a fear. I know Dovisioso backs himself, but the amount of, you know, just how ingrained and built Alessia's in that program and how, how well he goes in the RSGP compared to everyone else, that has to be a fear of going into a no-win situation and getting your reputation, your market value diminished by an unfavorable comparison. Because there's been some good teammates to Alicia on that bike and they could not match him. And, you know, we don't really know why that is, what the exact reasoning is, how how that specifically works. But, you know, Scott Redding, Sam Lowe's, uh, Andrea Unone, uh, Bradley Smith, now poor injured Lorenzo Savadori, whoever you name it, they they cannot get close to him. And that's that's ultimately that. The one thing I will say about yesterday's seventh place is that we're assuming that what we saw yesterday was a bike capable of capable of finishing seventh, finishing seventh, but arguably Aleish is a rider capable of finishing seventh as well. He has never been a MotoGP frontrunner. He's one of the very few guys there that has never won a single Grand Prix race in any class, which taken nothing away from him or anything, but Andrea Davizioso is a multiple world champion and a regular MotoGP race winner. The, the ego of a racer means that for me, Dovi will be looking at Leish think finishing seventh and thinking, ah, if you can finish second, seventh, I can finish third. I'm me. So I, I think that that's, you know, that's a point to remember. Um, as for the teammate thing, I, I arguably the only teammate that's ever went into that team whose level was above Leish for me was Ianoni. And obviously, Ian only went into that team with just his head in completely the wrong place. He self-sabotaged, you know. Let's never forget him missing two days of the, the first test of the season because of his cosmetic surgery. He self-sabotaged since day one. If Dovi goes in with the right attitude, which he will because he's Dovi and he is Mr. Professionalism, um, I think that the, the, the curse of being Alicia's teammate might not come to fruition for the first time in like eight teammates or whatever it is. Mm. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> you know, there's people who've been in other teams, two and four wheels, and they move over, they go to a lesser team, in inverted commas, and, and hang on a minute, why don't you do it like this? Because I won a Grand Prix like that, do it like this, and sometimes you just need that person. And you pay for them, and you pay handsomely for the, you know, for the secrets, to, not secrets, but just operational things to come over. You don't need to go to a photocopy shop in Woking to get secrets but you can you can you can do it by by transferal of just a bit of it works like this and it worked for us and I've got however many victories Dovizioso's got obscure Formula One reference of the day goes to Toby um the the, the one thing that I see as a stumbling block is actually the, the money um as far as Prilly are concerned but like you said uh with Carmelo, Carmelo is smart enough to realize that there is a benefit to having uh, Andrea Davizioso in the grid and Dorna will do everything they can to smooth that that over. They might not give Aprilia money, but they'll find an Italian sponsor of theirs to say, chuck a few quid to them, stick your name in the bike for a few races. Exactly. Bernie wouldn't let somebody disappear going riding motocross. Uh, He's not a spring chicken, I get that, but he's still a Grand Prix winner last year, within the last 12 months, within the last nine months off the top of my head. So he he wouldn't let that happen. And if Aprilia are a bit, this is getting expensive, are they going to drop out? That's a big, big loss for Carmelo. And that's a bigger loss for Carmelo, ultimately than just chucking two or three at it, two or three million at it, to, to help them out in another way. Uh, yeah. Put him on put him on 250 grand and a big bonus of points or something like that. Yeah. 
Exactly, and and pay a, a pay a sports insurance company to cover his win bonuses and and hope for exactly, the best. Exactly, exactly. As I touched on in the preview, I've got a little bit of a soft spot for uh, for Aprilia. Uh, they're in trouble at the moment, but in the old days of two strokes, I've got a bit of a soft spot. And they launched so many people uh, into Grand Prix victories and ultimately World Championships. See what they did for <laughs> Valentino in in '97 and '99. That that all came in the RSGP days. <laughs> Sorry, not the RSGP, the RS Cube days. And the best sounding thing out there. I did an article the other day about uh, uh, good sounding motorsport things, two and four wheeled. And funnily enough, the triple Aprilia came pretty high on the list. I wonder who you did that for, Toby. Well, indeed. Well, indeed. <laughs> um, in the meantime, um, I think that there's going to be a lot of busy people this week before Qatar 2. We shall await with bated breath. Uh, I don't think people are going to find another 15 miles an hour out of the box Friday, Saturday, but people will be scratching their heads as to how they can get the last seven laps out of their Michelins, and that's not going to be easy in amongst all the hotels of Qatar and Doha, but there'll be some busy people. I think just the the one guy we we need to mention from this weekend that we've we've passed up so far is un, un, unless we're supposed to get to him is uh, Enea Bastianini <laughs> had a, just an amazing MotoGP debut and everybody and I think his his uh, media debrief started with a round of applause from the from the journalist in attendance and he deserved it because he was 19th at the end of the opening lap and he finished in 10th within touching distance of of Jack Miller. Uh, First of all, the guy can the guy can clearly ride, and the guy can clearly ride that Ducati. And he was my he was my bid for rookie of the year. I don't that wasn't like really anything that I I stand by too too heavily. But I I I feel good about it right now. And it was it was just a great race, and it looks like again that Ducati by clearing out that space in their third tier team have the ability to like they have three three guys three rookies on their books who can all work out. And then they're just set for riders for life. And right now, in Bastinini looks like he's absolutely going to work out. That was a, as good a debut as I can remember in a while. Absolutely. That was spot on. He, he didn't cause any dramas. He did loads of learning. He didn't do a, you know, lead for three laps and end in the gravel and not get any data. Just That was just, like you say, it was just the textbook way to start off your MotoGP career. Um, he did get a round of applause at the start of his debrief. He also got a round of applause when he walked into the media center to do his debrief. Uh, you know, people are genuinely impressed by that performance because he still hasn't lost. You know, he won the Moto2 championship last year as a complete underdog. He got a MotoGP seat because of winning the championship and he still hasn't really lost that underdog reputation. Um, so yeah, I think we're going to see good things from him this year, but he's just going to go about it quietly. He's, he's not going to set the world on fire. He's just going to build off what he did last night, and it's going to be really interesting to see it. And come this weekend, we're going to do it all again for the Grand Prix of Doha, or as the rest of the world calls it, Qatar 2. Thank you all for tuning in. Do like and subscribe so you will get the latest MotoGP podcast straight into your phone, or as many of you do, watch through therace.com, the-race.com. Uh, Simon and Val will keep you up to date with all of the news and the build-up to this weekend, so do bookmark that page. In the meantime, thank you very much, Simon and Val. Look forward to this weekend. Thank you very much. Goodbye for now. <laughs>